All right. Our reading is found in your bulletin, uh, starting in Titus 2, Colossians 3, and 1 Corinthians 15. I invite you to read with me as we read this together. Titus 2, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You may be seated. Let's talk to the Lord together. Lord, those are incredible words that we've just sung. That all we are, all that we have, all that we hope to be, every ambition, every hope, every plan belongs to you. There's nothing that we're clutching, keeping away from you, but it's all yours. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to mean that. As we hear from your word now, I pray that you'd help us to come, Lord God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, with, with open hands, ready to say yes to whatever you ask, ready to surrender, ready to follow, ready to obey. Help us, Father, to understand your word. Help us to believe it. Help us to obey it. And would you please use this time together to build your kingdom in us and through us. And I ask this in Jesus' name. For his glory. Amen. Work. That was an intentional pause. Because I want, I'd love to know, don't tell me now, we don't have time to hear from each of you, but what, what happened in your head, your heart, as you heard that word, work? What's that word mean to you? Is that a bad word? A scary word, a good word, an exciting word. What's, what's your relationship with work? Do you avoid work? Do you work out of necessity? Or do you love work? Do you love work a little bit too much? Have people ever referred to you as a workaholic? 
Students, what about you? We use the word schoolwork. Is school work? Do you work hard at your learning? For all of us, <clears throat> when does our work start? When we show up at work? When we wake up in the morning? When does our work end? When the work day is over? When the school day is over? When the kids are in bed? Do you work on the weekends? Does it feel like work spending a day with your family? Is Sunday work? Is coming here this morning work? If you help out at Awana on Tuesday nights, does that feel like work? Serving on a committee here at the church, does that work? It's a lot of questions I've just asked. Would it surprise you to know that we're talking about work this morning? And I ask these questions to help stir the pot, to help you start to think about work and, and your attitudes towards it, your relationship with work. Today, we're really just getting started on this third section of our sermon series. We've considered the big story of the Bible and how the plot works and how, it, how the Bible fits together. We've considered how Jesus is the main character and how in his death and his resurrection, Jesus fulfills the story of the Bible. He's what it is, who it is all about from beginning to end. And in these past two weeks, we've turned our attention to look at our place in the story. So last week, we looked at our place in the story as the people of God, as Gentiles fitting into this predominantly Jewish story, and how does that work? And week before that, we considered the idea of being a new creation, and that in Christ, we are already a part of that new creation. And so now, we're finally prepared to ask, what difference does all of this make today? because we shouldn't be content to just end it where we are right now. We need to press further and say, what does this mean? What difference does this make for us today? And so today we're starting to ask those questions by considering the difference that the storyline of the Bible makes in, in our understanding of work and the way that we work. So why are we starting with work? Of all the different topics we could look at and will look at, why are we starting with work? Why is it our first topic? Well, and the reason is that we're, we're kind of picking these topics in the order that they come up in the storyline of the Bible. And when we look at the storyline of the Bible, when people are created, work is one of the first things they do. Genesis 2.15, God creates Adam, he makes a garden, and then Genesis 2.15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it, and keep it. That's what happens. People get created and people get put to work. So that's why we're talking about it first, because it shows up right away in the story in terms of what we do in the story. But this is also the first point in the sermon today. God created us to work. Adam and Eve were given work to do in the Garden of Eden, in paradise before there was any sin or anything wrong with the world. So think for a moment, if I were just to, to say to you the word paradise, imagine paradise, your version of paradise. 
does it include work? I hope so, because God's version of paradise includes work. The Garden of Eden was a place of work. Part of what we see in that is that work is, is an essential part of what it means to be human. It's what we were made to do. And yet we also know that the work that we experience today is a totally different experience than what Adam and Eve experienced because of what happened, right? They chose to rebel against their creator. They dragged all of us down into sin and God cursed the earth in response to their sin. And then because of that, our experience of work has been completely changed because of this curse on our sin. So just listen again to these words from Genesis 3, of God's, God's words of curse to Adam. And just think about everything that this passage implies and says about work. So this is God's words to Adam after his sin. He says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. Now what's new here in God's words to Adam is not the idea of work. That, that was part of Adam's experience before the fall. But what's new here in these words of curse is the ideas of difficulty and pain. Right? What's new is the sweat of your face part. What's new is the fact that the ground is now working back against Adam, right? By growing weeds and thorns and thistles, it hurts Adam. Like, as Adam tries to work the ground, the ground is working against him. And that is a part, a significant part of God's curse against our sin. And what's the, the clincher in this whole thing is that in this fight between Adam and the ground, the ground always wins. That's what it says, right? Adam's eventually going to die and his body's going to return to that ground. That ground that he fought against so hard, just trying to stay a step ahead of this curse, trying to beat back the weeds just enough to eke out a little existence. But finally, the ground's going to win. Adam's going to die and his body's going to become a part of the ground that he'd fought with his whole life. That's the curse. We work hard, just barely trying to stay ahead, and then we die. Sounds kind of pointless, doesn't it? I'm reminded of those words from that, that song uh, by the Verve called Bittersweet Symphony. Right? It's a bittersweet symphony, this life. You try to make ends meet, you're a slave to money, and then you die. Ecclesiastes talks about this, right? The writer of Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? So much of Ecclesiastes goes on to talk about the fact that we work and we die and it's all pointless in the end. That word for vanity in Ecclesiastes, in the Greek language, it's the same word that Paul uses in Romans 8.20 when he says, the creation was subjected to futility. Futility, vanity, same word. Paul's picking up on that Ecclesiastes language and he's recognizing this is the curse of God's curse against our sin is the curse of futility. And it means that all of our work in this old creation is ultimately futile. 
we know from the big story of the Bible is that this cursed creation is not going to stay that way, though, right? Because Romans 8.20, which starts off by saying the creation was subjected to futility and all of our work as a result is ultimately futile. It doesn't stop there because it says the creation was subjected to futility in hope that one day the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is one of the things that makes work so hard right now is this bondage to corruption. You build something and it's going to break. It's going to fall apart. This building, this beautiful church building that was given to us, you see cracks and chips and stuff around as you look around. This is the bondage to corruption. But one day, this creation is going to be set free. And that's talking about the new creation, the new heavens and the new earth where there's going to be no curse and there's going to be no futility. And what we read in the last two chapters of the Bible is that this new creation, this new heavens and the new earth is, is going to be just like the Garden of Eden but better. It's going to be finally this earth, the way that it was supposed to be, but even better than the way that it was in the beginning. And that's our ultimate home. That's where we're headed as those who have trusted in the death and resurrection of Christ and are therefore in him. So here's an important question. If the new creation is going to be like Eden, if we worked in Eden, are we going to work in the new creation? I don't see anything in the Bible that would give a no to that answer, which is to say the answer is yes. And we could look at this in a bunch of different ways, but just one quick glimpse at this. In Revelation 21, it's talking about the new creation. And it's saying that on the new earth, there's going to be a capital city, the new Jerusalem, and by its light will the nations, so there's going to be nations on the new earth, by its light will the nations walk. Walk is a phrase for just doing life. By its light will the nations walk. By the way, if you, if you have your Bible open to Revelation 21, this is verses 24 to 26. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings who are working, because being a king is a job, the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it, into the new Jerusalem, the glory and the honor of the nations. So we talked about this back at family camp, right? This is so different from our typical vision of heaven where we sit on a cloud and sing forever. There's going to be nations on the new earth. They're going to be walking, which means living, which means doing stuff. And they're going to be producing things. And what this says is that the best of the best things that they produce, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought by their kings as tribute to King Jesus in the new Jerusalem. So yeah, we can expect to work in the new earth. We're finally going to get to do what God said. We told Adam and Eve to have dominion over this earth, over this, over this world. And, and we're going to finally be able to work the way that we were created to. Can you just imagine, can you like, just think of the, some of the things that we have been able to do as sinful, broken humans who only live for a few years and then we die. We've been able to land on the moon. We've been able to make smartphones. We've been able to do amazing things. Can you imagine what we're going to be able to produce in the new earth? What the glory and honor of the nations, what that's actually going to look like in a world with no sin, no conflict, no pain, no corruption, no futility, and where we get to live forever. Like, 
I just can't imagine how amazing the things that we're going to get to do are. There's so much good work ahead of us. And those, those moments in your life where you've just, you felt the joy of a job well done and of producing something and it just feels so right. Those are just little glimpses into the future that awaits us in Christ of bringing glory to God through fruitful, futility-free, pain-free, joyful, eternal work. Now, what about today? This is what the, where this is going, Right? And the good news I have for you today is that we don't have to wait until the new creation to experience work that has been set free from futility. We don't have to wait for the new creation to experience work without futility. Do you remember what we've seen in the past two weeks? Because Jesus died and rose again and has made us a part of himself, we are already new creation in him. If anyone is in Christ, new creation and as new creations in Christ, God has given us work to do. Just like he made Adam and Eve and he gave them work, he made us new creations and he's given us work to do and it's not futile and it matters and it lasts and it's not pointless. And the work that he's given us to do is described in the New Testament as good work. Or you could say, good works. If you have a, a Bible app on your phone or your computer, sometimes you should just do a search in the New Testament for that phrase, good work. I think you might be astounded at how many times it's there. This is one of those phrases I, I feel like in our North American climate, we tend to gloss over too easily and too quickly. What you'll see if you search for that phrase and all the times that it appears is that good works are the things that God has called us to do and for us to give ourselves to at this point in the story. So just listen to some of these, some of these verses. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. After describing God saving us and rescuing us, it says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Did, did you hear there that, that new creation life? We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. There's that idea of us being new creations in Christ. What were we created for? Good works. And he's already prepared them for us so that we can just walk in them, which means live in them. Or think about Titus 2 that we just read together already, which again tells the big story of salvation and it ends with Good works. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, teach, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. Do you see that idea of here you are in the story, we're in the present age, we're waiting for our blessed hope, which is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself people for his own possession who are what? Zealous for good works. This is where the whole thing comes to. At our spot in the story, zealous for good works. My guess is that zealous is not a word you probably used in a sentence in this past week. And yet, my guess is that zealous is something you would recognize if you saw it in real life. 
We've seen people who are zealous about things. It means excited, enthusiastic, we could say passionate. Jesus died to make us zealous for good works. Titus 3.8 says that we should be careful to devote ourselves to good works. 1 Timothy 2.10 says that, speaking specifically to women, but we can apply it to all of us, should be adorned with good works. In other words, good works should be as much part of our lives as these clothes that we wear, which means they're with us all the time. We don't leave home without them. 1 Timothy 6.18 speaks about us being rich in good works, which means we don't just have pocket change, but we have lots of them. We could go on and on. At our place in the story, as new creations in Christ, God has called us to a life of good works. This is what we were saved for. This is what we were created for here and now. So if that's all true, then a question that we should ask is, so what are good works? I'm assuming it somehow involves work and it's good. And if you think that way, you're on the right track. But let's go a little bit deeper. What, what are good works? What, what comes to your mind as you think about good works? Well, I'm going to look at a passage. If you have your Bible, turn here. It's, we didn't put this in the bulletin, but 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 10. This verse really helps us put some handles on this idea. In that chapter, Paul has been giving Timothy some instructions specifically about widows in the church and types of people that should be cared for and so on. And in there, he, he's talking about about widows who have a reputation for good works. And then what he does in verse 10 is he gives us a list of, of what he means by that. So basically when he says good works, here's, here's what he means. Here's what Timothy should think about when he hears this phrase, good works. Here's what 1 Timothy 5.10 says. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, which is basically filling in everything that he didn't put in that list. So we're going to spend a bit of time just focusing on that first thing he mentioned there and springboarding off of it a bit. If she has brought up children, bringing up children, raising a family, is work. It's hard work. It's worthy of as much honor as any job. But it's also fairly normal work, if you know what I mean by that. Like bringing up children, raising a family. This isn't some super spiritual work where you go off by yourself to pray on a mountaintop for days. This is normal, everyday work of dishes and discipline, work that many of you have done and are doing. It's just normal, everyday work. And yet, this verse suggests to us that when we think about good works, that includes our normal work. Good works includes our normal works, our normal work, 
when we do our normal work for Jesus. Let me say that again. When we think about good works, that includes our normal work. When we do our normal work for Jesus. And that's really the idea that we saw in Colossians chapter 2 that we read earlier, 23 to 24. Sorry, Colossians 3, 23 to 24. Paul's speaking to bond servants or slaves, you know, employees, except a little bit more intense. They were literally the property of their masters. They had no choice but to work for him. They couldn't just go sit on a mountaintop and pray for days or whatever you might think about when you think of good works. And so Paul tells them in verse 22 to obey their masters. And then he says in verse 23, which we read, whatever you do, slaves working for your masters, whatever you're doing, digging ditches, bringing them meals, whatever, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So in other words, when you become a follower of Jesus, Jesus becomes your boss. You're working for him. In your job, you're working for Jesus. And so another place that we see this connection between our normal work and good works, working for the Lord, is in Titus chapter 2. In verses 9 and 10 of Titus chapter 2, Paul has likewise been addressing bondservants, slaves, employees. And he's told Titus to tell them that they're, they're supposed to make Jesus look good by being good at their job, by obeying their masters, being honest, not stealing. That's how they make Jesus look good in their jobs. And then what he does in the next three verses is he gives them the reason for here's why you should do good at your, at your work to make Jesus look good. Here's why. And you know what that reason is? Those next three verses he gives, it's those three verses from, second, or from Titus chapter 2 that we just read a few minutes ago. Employees, slaves, here's why you should work hard at your job to make Jesus look good because the grace of our God has appeared and so on and so on and so on so that we would be zealous for good works. That whole passage we just read. So let's just, let me try and condense this for you. Let me try and put this together. Here's, here's how Paul reasons here. He says, you should be a good employee because Jesus died to make you zealous for good works basically what he's saying there. Do you see that connection there? You should be an employee, a good employee, a good slave, a good bond servant, whatever your relationship is, because Jesus died to make you zealous for good works. Do you see there that, that connection between doing good on our jobs and doing good works? And this helps us see again that our normal work, like raising a family or working for our employer, is, a, is the place that we can do good works because in them we serve Jesus. We do our jobs really well to make Jesus look great. 
Now here's just a little, a little nugget here that's just so good to, to notice is that Paul's told the slaves in Colossae that as they work for the Lord Christ, he is going to reward them in eternity. You know what that means? It means that our work isn't futile anymore. We don't just work and die and it's all left behind. It means that when we die and go to be with the Lord in eternity, there in eternity in the new earth, we're going to get a reward if we have worked hard at our jobs, at our work of raising families and whatever else we do for Jesus. We're going to get an eternal reward. So that means our work's not futile anymore. It's not pointless. It all has a point. Your boss might not see what you do. Your boss might not pay you what you're worth. You might quit your job and the next day some guy might come and overturn everything that you worked hard to do. And yet, the Lord will reward you, which means your work is not futile anymore. Now there's another way, remember we're still talking here about the connection between our work and this idea of good works. We've seen how our normal work of working out our jobs, raising families, when we do it for Jesus, it becomes good works. There's another way that our work, our normal work, connects up with this idea of good works. And it specifically applies specifically to our jobs where we earn an income. Because when the New Testament talks about good works, many of the things it talks about are things that involve money. So for example, Titus 3.14 one of the good works we're supposed to do is support missionaries. Give money to those who are, who are going out, not having a job because they're working full time to, to spread the gospel. And that's a good work that we should do is support them. So if we're going to give money to missionaries, where does our money come from? From a job. And so our jobs connect up to this idea of good works when we earn an income and we use our income to be generous instead of buying more toys for ourselves. We also see there's an example in, in, the, in the letters to the Thessalonians that our jobs connect up with good work simply when we use our income to stand on our own two feet financially and, we're not, and, and don't become a burden to other people. And that might sound strange to you. Say, where's that coming from? But it's interesting, in the Thessalonian church, some of these people had, had really kind of jumped the gun on their place in the biggest story ever told. They knew Jesus had come. They knew he was coming again. And the kingdom of God was so real to them that they thought that they didn't have to worry about these normal things like going to work, earning a paycheck. Come on, who has time for that? The kingdom of God is here. Maybe they got some things better than we do. But Paul had to tell them, no, 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 guys, don't, don't just quit your jobs. Because what was happening is these people were not working, and then they were just counting on other rich Christians to kind of take care of their financial needs. And Paul's, about, about these people, Paul had, was pretty strong, right? He says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, 8, he says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who's walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread 
without paying for it, but with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. And then in verse 10, he says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Earn their own living, the phrase there literally has the idea of eat your own bread. Pay for your own food. That's the Apostle Paul's Holy Spirit-inspired bluntness. This shows us for the most part, God expects his people to stand on their own two feet financially. We're not supposed to be a financial drain on others. And that way we're free to use our money to support missionaries and to be generous with those who are truly needy. In other words, so we can do good works. When I was a young adults pastor in Regina, we talked about these concepts with the young people and how being dependent on no one, which is a phrase from 1 Thessalonians, but that idea is there, being dependent on no one includes mom and dad. It includes Visa and MasterCard. And by that I mean significant problem with many young Canadians is using credit to sustain a lifestyle that you can't actually afford. And so one of the ways that our jobs connect up with good works is when we stand on our own two feet financially so that we can all use our income to further the kingdom of God. So we've wandered a little bit here, but let's remember this all comes from 1 Timothy 5.10. That's where we started off, where we see that this Paul lists good works. He starts with bringing up children, which is just normal work. And in Christ, our normal work of going to our jobs, raising a family, going to school, it's been set free from futility and it connects up with our mission of good works. Now there's, please understand, there's so much I want to say here that I've had to cut out of this morning. And so I actually have a bunch of material ready to go that I'm going to be posting on the blog this week. So if you go to our church website, there's a pastor's blog there. Uh, probably more than one post this week of, of stuff that just didn't fit in this morning, but it's going to be there. So check it out. First post will be up tomorrow. You can go put in your email address and you'll get new posts as they come out. But there's more, more on this that I, that I want to say. So it's going to go on the blog this week. Now we have a couple, just a couple other brief stops that we want to make this morning coming out of 1 Timothy 5.10. So remember, the first item, good works, is normal work, bringing up children. But then what does he say after that? 1 Timothy 5.10. What are the other items on the list? If she has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted. Those are all things that the New Testament tells us to do for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. You can open up any book in the New Testament and you're going to read these kinds of things that we should do for each other. We should show hospitality. We should care for each other. We should be involved in each other's lives as the people of God. Multiple times, I think of Galatians 6.10, let us do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Now here's, here's, what, here's what this is showing us though. If we are supposed to be devoted to good works, 
zealous for good works. It means that these good works like hospitality and caring for our brothers and sisters in Christ, supporting missionaries, helping out at Awana, teaching Sunday school, serving on committees here at the church, these aren't extras that we sort of fit into our lives whenever we have space for them. Things that we do after we've done everything else that's important to us. No, no, if if good works are the things that we're supposed to be devoted to, that we're supposed to be zealous for, then these good works are the things that should be important to us. That we should be planning and scheming and scheduling our lives around how to do good works and how to do more of them. Isn't that what it would look like to be carefully devoted to good works? Isn't that what it would look like to be zealous for good works? You see, this is where the rubber hits the road. We're talking about what the big story of the Bible means for our lives today. It's not, this isn't safe, right? Once the big story of the Bible starts driving into our lives, it starts knocking stuff off the shelves and it makes us ask big questions. It's these moments that we realize that being a new creation in Christ is not a side hustle. It's not a little thing we get to just do every once in a while. It's not just a club we get to be a member of. Being a new creation in Christ means that your whole life's mission and direction has been changed. It means that when we say Jesus, all for Jesus, we mean what we say. And it means that we've been given an entirely new definition of work. Work is not just this thing we do to pay the bills so we can afford groceries and pay for our hobbies. But good works is now this huge category that includes our work at at, at our jobs and everything and includes all this other stuff. And good works is what our lives are supposed to be about. And what this means is we've got a whole new definition of the normal life, right? We are full-time Christians devoted to good works that we were created to do. And everything else fits into that. For example, our hobbies Instead of being the focus of our lives, our hobbies are now something we do from time to time to help us rest and rejuvenate so that we can get back to what we are really passionate about, which is good works. That is the vision of the Christian life that we see painted for us here in the pages of Scripture. So, where do we go with this? Knowing there's more, I mean, check out the blog this week. There's some more things that I want to say here, but just in sewing things up this morning. How do we, these are some big ideas. How do we break these down to the level where we can actually, we can actually do something about them? So I have four suggestions. That's where we're going to end here this morning. Four suggestions on what we should do with this this morning. My first one is be encouraged. One of, the, one of the awesome things as I got to work on this sermon this week is I typed certain sentences. I saw in my mind's eye the faces of many of you flash in front of my mind. So many of you, so rich in good works. You're using your jobs and your money for the glory of Jesus. And you're using your time to love and serve others. One of the things I hope this morning encourages us all in is to realize that, that many of the things we're already doing 
are, or at least can be, good works. We just got to shift our attitude. Maybe you need to be encouraged at the thought that that Jesus is going to reward you for the good works that you're doing in his name. So be encouraged this morning. Maybe what you need to do this morning is to go encourage someone else. Maybe you know someone here or somewhere else. I'm thinking about EBC this morning. Someone who's, who's doing really well in this good works category. Maybe you need to encourage them this morning. You're, you're doing this well. The Lord will reward you. That's how we need to stir one another up to good works, as we're going to hear about in just a minute. So be encouraged and, and encourage others if you can when we are doing this well. Here's my second suggestion about good works. Let's learn more about this. All right, Titus 3.14 said, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works. Right? You can't just say, okay, I'm going to do this. There's some learning here. How, how, do, how do I take my job? Maybe you're wondering, okay, my job, can I do that for Jesus? Is that good works work there? How do I do that? Maybe you've got to learn, or, or maybe it's learning about how to show hospitality. Like, How do I do that? So, we need to learn. And so read the blog this week. There'll be a few things there. I don't know if you looked in your bulletin there. We've got a little thing each week on, on featured books in the library. There's, a, there's just a short little book this week called Work and Our Labor in the Lord. It's just on, it's on the top shelf, right, right on top there in the library. And this is a fantastic little book that will help you understand this whole idea of work and how we work in the Lord a little bit more. So why not go check that book out of the library? I'd love to see that gone this week. Why not do what I I'd mentioned earlier is a, a Bible study. Just search the phrase good works and read all those different phrases and, and read those chapters where those verses are and dig into that idea. But you know, one of the best ways that we can learn to devote ourselves to good works is learning from others who are already doing it. Right? Isn't that what Titus chapter 2 describes? of the older women in the church teaching the younger women how to, what essentially amounts to, doing good works. Or in Titus 2, Titus himself was told to be a model of good works. So other people were supposed to learn from him. So how do we learn to do good works? Well, let's let's spend time with people that are doing it well. Be intentional. Take someone for coffee or go by their house and say, "You, you seem to be doing this well. How can I learn from you? Watch them. Ask them questions. Let's help each other figure this out. Or maybe you're the person that needs to tap someone else on the shoulder and say, hey, let's hang out. I have some things I'd love to tell you. Here's my third suggestion for us. Let's reflect. Here's where this comes from. Titus 3.8 says that we should be careful to devote ourselves to good works. Careful. This doesn't just happen by itself. So take some time this week, maybe even today, to take stock of your life. What's your relationship with work? What's your involvement with good works? How much of a gap is there between your lifestyle and what we just read about in the Bible today? Is it a small gap? Is there no gap? Is it a big gap? What would it take for you to close that gap? What would it look like for you to devote yourself to good works? Anything need to change? Any priorities need to get realigned? 
You're not going to figure this out by accident. If we're going to obey the command to be careful to devote ourselves to good works, it means we're going to have to be careful to do it, which means we've got to sit down and think about it. Find someone to talk to. Another verse I think of, Hebrews 10.24, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Do you notice what that verse says? It doesn't just say, let us stir up one another to love and good works. It says, let us consider how to do that. It means we've got to think, how can I help stir other people up to love and good works? So take some time this week to turn off the TV and consider, to think, talk to someone, write some ideas down. Let's reflect and consider and think. And here's my fourth suggestion. It's pretty obvious. Let's work. This is a sermon we don't have to really wonder too much about. How do we apply this? Each of us, no matter what your stage of life, you will have an opportunity for good works this week, probably this day. Might be with your job, might be with your family, might be with people in this room right now. So let's do it. Let's give ourselves to good works. Whatever that means and whatever that looks like, let's not run and hide, but let's embrace this as we are already doing. So I'm just going to end this morning with the encouragement that we read earlier from 1 Corinthians 15. Just think about this against the backdrop of the curse and futility and our work being pointless before Jesus. And yet Paul says, therefore, my beloved brothers, he's just talked about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and the hope that's ahead of us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. It's not a waste anymore. In the Lord, our work is not in vain because of the hope that's stretched out in front of us. So today, let's give ourselves to the good works that Jesus created us for. Father, would you help us to do this? Would you help us to grab a hold of our mission? Help us to see, Lord, the places that we are doing this and that we should be encouraged. Would you help us, Lord, to see where you would call us to devote ourselves even further and that we would say yes. Help us, Lord, to encourage those who are doing this well. Help us to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Lord, may this be a week May this be a life of good works for each one of us here who knows you. And if we don't, Lord, may we know you, Jesus, who died and rose again for our sins. And I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.